You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. This is called Pirate Radio. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? You run around this city like it's your damn shooting gallery. Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? You act like it's a playground. You beat up the bullies with your fists. You throw them in jail. Everybody calls you a hero, right? And then a month, a week, a day later, they're back on the streets doing the yeah. same goddamn so, thing. So you just put them in the morgue. You goddamn right, I do. One chooses to walk the way of the Mandalore. You are both hunter and prey. This is the way. This is the way. The Force will be with you. Always. Be bold. Be brave. Courageous. Black alert. This is called Pirate Radio. We are refuse for great geeks, cause round here we don't get geek. We don't care for the hate speech. That's why we ain't mainstream. So we linked up on the same team. No heights we can't reach. We are fan, we're hearts true. If you feel the same, sing along too. Say great geek, great geek, refuge, refuge, great geek, great geek, refuge, refuge. Don't be a juice bag, cause round here we don't do that. Don't be a juice bag, cause round here we don't do that. It's like, yeah, uh, no, action news. And now, your host, Mike Lutzer. I'm totally gonna use that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of At The Diner, the flagship podcast of the GGR Pirate Radio Network. My name is Mike Lunsford. I am one of your hosts, but I am also the editor-in-chief of our website. That is greatgeekrefuge.com. Lots of great articles, lots of great podcasts that you can check out at your leisure. Joining me on today's series of episodes that we have, uh, co-hosting with me, in this wonderful podcast journey, we have the man, the myth, the legend, a wonderfully talented visual artist, but also so incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to all things geeky and nerdy. We dubbed him the professor. His name is James Rambo. Mental health maintenance is a giant pain in my ass. That's, yeah. I mean, the end. You, and me, That's all you and me both, brother. Like, talk about that for a second, man. Like, it, it sucks when you feel it, when you feel it coming on. You're like, wow, it's getting cold outside. Oh, there's that lovely wave of depression. Ah, let's wear it like a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even beyond that, though, like, yeah, when you when you're like, all right, I I recognize that I need to to get some help for this. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go to a therapist, and it becomes all right. Who? Which one? Where? Some people specialize in different things. Do you think you need meds? Maybe you need this specific kind of therapist. Like. The, it's like the it's almost like the system was designed the, the idea that that people who have difficulty with their mental functionality need to then navigate this system in order to find someone to help them with it is like uh, okay um yeah <laughs> it's, good luck. it's like it's like not only do you have to contend with the fact that you're suffering from uh, a mental illness or just need help you also have to be an expert in how to navigate the systems. And that is like incredibly frustrating, but also like so counterintuitive. It's like, hey, I need help. Okay, well, what kind of help do you need? I don't know. Yeah. Some, all, I, all of it. Just give me all of the help at the same time right now. Like it, it is it, yeah. gross. Yeah, and, and incredibly difficult to navigate too. So yeah. 
Um, we have a very special guest, Mr. Rambo. She's your friend, a good friend, in fact. Why don't you introduce her to our wonderful family of listeners? Uh, Nino Skeda is someone I have known for many years now. Uh, I was at her wedding. Um, we met in college. She's a wonderful person. And uh, if you want to hear more about that, you should listen to the previous episode. Yes. It's literally free. You can do it. Like, just click back. It's that simple. Hi, Nina. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So I want to start off because you're our guest. I want to start off with something that you love very much that we've yeah. discussed. Um, this episode is mostly focused on the, on this particular topic, which you'll be the one who introduces, which is fun. But then we're also going to talk about uh, movies, shows, um, albums, books, whatever is coming out media wise that you're excited about that's going to be coming out. But we are going to be starting with one of my favorite topics to discuss, and that's Star Trek. Um, mm -hmm. Star Trek Discovery just started its fourth season. What was it, Thursday? Yeah, Thursday was the premiere episode. Um, so I'll let you kind of kind of lead us into this here. You Have you seen the, the first episode of uh, season four? Yes. Yes, okay, I have. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that. We'll, we'll try okay. to go spoiler-free for those who haven't watched. But just like what Please your, do, your, as I have not yet watched it. Yeah, yeah, would yeah, you, totally. Would you get your shit together? Seriously. <laughs> I fucking told you about this, like, less than an hour ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Literally in the last episode, I was like, oh, yeah, we haven't, I haven't really, I'm like a full season behind. <laughs> Still, get it together. Um, All right, yeah, so spoiler-free. Give me kind of your, your your takeaways on this. Like, what were your what were some of your thoughts on uh, on the first episode of season the four? The first episode, um, I thought it was good. Uh, I'm really enjoying the current place that they are in the Star Trek universe because it is totally unexplored and they can get away with whatever they want. So, like, I'm not a big fan of prequels because prequels always look stupid. They're always like, oh, this is actually the Enterprise from before the original show. It just looks super shiny and new and beautiful because this was filmed 50 years after the original show. So, like, it never works, you know? And I loved the first two seasons of Discovery, even though they were supposed to be taking place before the original Star Trek series, like... It, I mean, this is why I never watched Enterprise. I hated the idea that, oh, this is the Enterprise before the first Enterprise, and it's all pretty, and they have to cover each other in goo. And it's, <laughs> like, I never watched that show because I hated prequels. But this yeah. discovery takes place a thousand years in the future, so they can come up with any banana balls type of tech they want, like programmable matter. Yeah, that <laughs> shit is dope. It's dope. It looks so, and like the, I, I gotta say, like, I, I actually really love how stupid it all looks. Cause it's really, it, none of it makes sense. And this is most Star, most of Star Trek, most Star Trek science doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. It's not real. It's magic. It's space magic, but it looks really cool. Yeah. So I, that's I, how I feel I, about this new season. <laughs> I, te I tend to agree. Um, well, luckily Rambo, you're not, um, so far behind that you don't know that they're in the future because like the beginning of season three they're in the future so yeah 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 um what I, I I'm 
on board with like about 90% of what you said, Nina. Um, the whole like prequel thing, I get, I get in principle. I, I, and I, and I felt the same way too, because it was like, okay, cause Star Trek is doing, or Star Wars is doing the same shit. Well, yeah. it's like, Hey, let's take everything, every story that we've told and fill in every fucking gap. Yeah. And it's like, you don't really need to do that. That's not well, necessary. See, and this is, and I, and I am a huge Star Wars fan. I will say, yeah. I, I, man, I could go on a rant. I yeah. hate the prequels with such a passion because <laughs> they, number one, they were badly written. Number two, badly directed. And number three, they look stupid because everything is so gorgeous. And they try to explain that the reason everything looks all beat up and grungy in the original movies is because like, oh, the Empire came and, you know, they made everything look bad for some reason. But it never really works. So I do appreciate the fact that they saw the things that didn't work in the prequel movies and they decided to um, basically fix them through the TV shows. Like, yeah. The Clone Wars TV show is a giant apology for the movie. <laughs> it's like, I'm so sorry this movie was so bad, but check it out. We're going to do a show and it's going to like fix everything. And to me, like, I do appreciate that. I, I haven't yeah. watched all of Clone Wars. I mostly just skipped to the Darth Maul scenes because he's my favorite, but... <laughs> It's a great show, and I do appreciate that uh, modern Star Wars writers are trying to fuse the old look of the original movies and the new designs of the prequels so that it feels less disjointed. Yeah. And I think that's a difficult thing to do, because they definitely didn't do that with Discovery. And I love Discovery, but they did not make that seamless. Cool. <laughs> like when you look at the original, like the the original series of Star Trek, and then you look at Discovery, and you're like, so let me get this straight: the original series of Star Trek happens after Discovery. None of this makes any sense. But five years in the future. Yeah, yeah it's, I'm like, this doesn't work, but it's still fun. I still enjoy it. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought that when they actually went to the Enterprise proper, I thought they did a pretty good job of being like, yeah, we're gonna. Let's obviously take this with a grain of salt because yeah. we're not just going to use the old set because that would look like shit. I know, but... yeah. They, they, <laughs> I, I did love the little, like, I, I, what's her face? Um, The Emperor. She made a little jab when she goes onto the bridge. She's like, orange, ew. And I thought that was very fun because, you know, the original set was a lot of orange. Um, yeah. But yeah, I did, they did try to, like, incorporate the old uh, aesthetics of the original series into, you know, the new one, which is fun. And I think they did a much better job with the uniforms doing that than they did with the ship. But also it would look really stupid if they went into just the original set of the yeah. original series. So you there's, can't blame them. There's some, there's a, there's an answer in there. That's a mashup of the two. Yeah. And like that was, that was kind of my point with this whole thing is like, I'm so happy that Discovery went to the future because yeah. having to play this game of, cause it, like you said with Star Wars, yeah, there have been, there was a lot that was messed up about it. It was like, hey, we're gonna go back and we're gonna explain a bunch of dumb shit. Hey, you know how Jedi's are Jedi's? Uh, it's like a space STD, don't worry about it. Yeah. And it's like, it's like really, that kind of sucks. And yeah. like having to explain everything is never a good look. 
but like there have been some good things that have come from it. A perfect example is I thought Rogue One was the best movie that they've done of the new batch. And that was basically, it was like, it was fitting into a tiny little hole that they had to do, which again, it worked in that instance. It just shows that it was, it was well-written, but with Star Trek, you're again, you're going to have that complaint. I personally liked that They're like, all right, well, we're not going to worry about how it looked before. This is how the enterprise looks now. So fucking deal with it. I kind of like that to a certain degree, but at the same time, I'm glad that they're taking discovery because that's another thing. You have this thing that can travel instantaneously from one point of the universe to another on fucking magic mushrooms. And mm-hmm. that was never something that existed before. That's some bullshit. So how do you explain that away? Oh, they disappeared into the future by like a yep. thousand years. All right, fucking fair, cool. All right, yep. whatever. Totally works for me. Like yeah. just zoom into the future in a world that you don't have to follow any rules and make up your own rules. I, I appreciate that much more than trying to cram uh, some creativity into a universe that is rigidly already written. Like having yeah. to... I, I, and I do appreciate that Lower Decks does that with humor because <laughs> honestly, that's my favorite Star Trek show, Lower Decks, because they follow every single Star Trek rule to the letter. And when you do that, it's hilarious because the rules don't make any sense. Yeah. But it, when you go to the future, you can make up whatever you want. It really is brilliant, brilliantly written. And you can tell mm-hmm. like with something like that too, especially with Lower Decks, like you can tell that the people who are writing Lower Decks and creating Lower Decks love Star Trek. Oh yeah. And like, yeah. yeah. You have to be willing to make fun of yourself a little bit. Um, and the things that you love in order to show people how much you love it, because man, there are some, like, there's so many things that, in Star Trek that make absolutely no sense. So yeah. when you see them riff on them, it's like a reminder not to take this so seriously. Yeah. yeah the, the Star Trek fans that like to talk big shit about, Star Wars. Oh my god. I'm like, y'all, you need to fucking take a breath. Yeah. And <laughs> or remind even yourself. The people who make fun of the spore drive, they're like, mushrooms, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, hold the phone. If you go warp 10, you exist in all uh, places at once. And also, you, what it, what was it? Um, what happened to, to Paris? He, oh, Paris uh, and Janeway, they fucking evolved into those fucking lizard things. de-evolved into giant yeah. lizards because yeah. he went warp 10. And now you're going to come at us saying that a spore drive is too much for you? Dude, watch Star well, the, Trek. There's too the much goofy also, shit. What I love also is, like, them shitting on the idea. Like, the spore drive is based on actual emerging science. Uh-huh. Yeah. As opposed to... <laughs> yeah, because oh, because a yeah. mushroom is only it's only the fruiting plant that you see. You're missing the entire mycelial yeah. network, yeah. which interconnects between every fucking living organism that's in that area. Just like, cool. oh, there's no possible way that things connected could make. Yeah, yeah Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, I, just, I, I can't take those complaints seriously if for no, no other reason, Next Gen introduced Mr. Mrs. Pitlick into the <laughs> fucking, like continuity, like. There are space gods that show yeah. up to fuck with Picard. Literally gods that exist in this universe to the point where one of them took a main character and he disappeared forever, Wesley. I and and they make fun of Jedi. They're like, oh, you know, stupid space priests in their robes with their laser swords. I could just shoot them with one yeah. of my phasers. And I'm like, you have literal gods. 
that show up just to fuck with people and you want to give Star Wars shit for lightsabers? It's just yeah. I can't I can't stomach Trekkies that the kid, go the kid from Stand By Me met an alien. They phased out of reality. So the ship yeah. could travel faster. Yep. You know, yeah, I, yeah, but yeah, but 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 fucking space wizards. No, I can't have yeah. that. No, space wizards, though, that's too weird. Like, get, no, give me a break. Yeah, it's 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 the difference between <laughs> Star Star Shrek fans, uh the Star Wars fans drink their Capri Sun in the pouch. Yeah. Star Trek fans have to put it in a glass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, and then some people will say, oh, well, Star Wars is science fantasy. Star Trek is science fiction. And I'm like, fuck off. Star Trek has so much fantasy. Like, the, the I mean, just the amount of telepaths and space magic that they use to explain things, like yeah. the word salads they use to explain things that make no sense. I mean, even... Just whenever they use the term subspace, <laughs> like it's all fantasy. It is all fantasy, and the only difference is that they're they they take the fantasy seriously enough to convince people that there is some sort of scientific basis for yeah. the wait, sanity. Wait, they said they said electrons, so I, those yeah. are real. Yeah, exactly. Like oh, protons. I know what those are. Those are a real science term. So everything they're saying is based in science. Like no, it's not. None of it is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. There's just enough science, like real science, floated through there. Yeah. To make it seem plausible, and they say it with a straight face. Yes. Whereas Star Wars is like, yeah, space wizards. Yeah. Space and wizards with laser swords. Oh no! But when, see, when Star Wars tries to over-explain things, like with midi chlorians, that's when you're like, that's when they fuck up. Please yeah. stop. And yeah. and to your to your point earlier about uh, uh, um, prequel stuff, not just Star Wars, but just 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 prequel stories in general. Uh huh. It's only good, like it's only worthwhile if you actually have something to say. It's yes. only worthwhile if there's actually something you really want to explore, because yes. if all you're doing is just being like, oh, we're just going to explain this thing. Why? Why is that necessary? Why is that important? Why is that interesting? Yeah. Oh, uh, money? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Like, why did midi-chlorians become a thing? Why did why did Lucas think it was necessary for him to explain why people have force sensitivity? Was he trying to... Because when you try to explain force sensitivity as something that is um, scientific... Now you run into this thing where it's like, well, does that mean that Force-sensitive people who marry other Force-sensitive people, does that mean that their children are Force-sensitive? Wait, does that mean that you can breed Jedi? Like, that's yeah. a conversation I don't think he was ever ready for. No, and that's the thing. Like, he doesn't... He's just not a very good writer. No. Lucas he doesn't think good, ahead. I mean, he's a good concept guy. Yeah. But when it comes to the actual, like... You know the the actual doing of the thing. Editing. He doesn't have the skill, and 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 also like, dude, you wrote a thing where like the force is this like spiritual, almost religious experience uh -huh. that connects everything in the universe, and then you were like, and here's the hard data for that. Like, yeah. oh, man, <laughs> actually, it's just midichlorians. Like, what? It's so it, it's so unnecessary, I and still I totally remember agree being, with you. 
I still I don't remember think being super art. pissed about that as a kid because like I remember watching Luke in the original trilogy and I was like, okay, the reason why he wasn't able to defeat Darth Vader is he doesn't have enough experience. He hasn't practiced enough. He hasn't trained enough. Like that was the lesson they were teaching us. He left his training with Yoda too early. He's like, you're not ready. You're not ready mm -hmm. for this shit. That's why yeah. he lost his own pride, right? And then why did he kick Vader's ass in Return of the Jedi? Because he was a full-fledged Jedi. He'd practiced. He'd done some shit. Like, that anybody could do a thing if they worked hard. And yeah. then in episode one, like 30 minutes in, they were like, nope, turns out you got to be a blue blood. And I was oh, like, fuck. Yep. The blue blood thing really upset me. And then the whole, like, oh, he never had a father. Fuck off. Uh, Jesus, knock it off. Uh, <laughs> Literally, Jesus. asked for this. This is a bad idea. Why did you decide? I guess George Lucas is one of those people that like upsets me because he came up with so many fun things, but he needed so much help to do it. And yeah, that, those prequels mm. are a result of giving someone who had a spark of creativity unlimited power. Every you know? time yeah. I look at um, any Stanley comic written in from like the 90s on and i see how much garbage it is i see how awful the writing is and how there's nothing worthwhile there in the slightest i was always reminded of like oh yeah you've just been an excellent snake oil salesman yeah no, Stan was an incredible representative. He wasn't, you know, a creative driving force. He was a great spokesperson. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think I, he just uh, believed his own shit, honestly. Like, it's, oh, he it's definitely not even, did. Yeah. yeah. He believed yeah, his no, own there's hype. A, there's a, there's a, um, a documentary uh, called In Search of Steve Ditko that Jonathan Ross did. And in it, there's a little, like, five-minute interview segment with Stan and I found out the, the background on it last night. Uh, Stan's lawyer was running late. He was in traffic. So they're waiting for him. And, and finally, they're just like, all right, well, let's just go ahead and do it. And so they record the interview. And so his his legal representative isn't there. Oh. Uh, and so Ross is like, so do you think Steve Ditko co-created Spider-Man? And he says, yes, in my opinion, Steve co-created Spider-Man. And Jonathan Ross is like, come on, man, in your opinion, like, do you or don't you? And they go back and forth a couple times. You can see Stan's clearly like, oh, well, you know. And he finally is just like, well, you know, I, I've i been saying this for so long. Like, it's important to Steve that he he be credited as co-creator. And so I think that's, the, I think, you know, he should be cre credited that way. But, you know, I came up with the idea. Wow. And, <laughs> and, and Ross is like, so, but what if, you know, but but Ditko is someone who designed him. He was one who drew him. He's like, well, I could have given it to anybody to draw it. Oh. And he's like, okay, but then what if it wasn't successful then? He's like, well, then I would have created something that wasn't successful. And it's like, dude, you just explained in your own words and your own logic how Ditko is a vital part of that character. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's like, no, he he doesn't get it. And so yeah, any and all the all the Lucas fanboys, I'm just like. That dude had so much help. He mm -hmm. had so. I, I think about like the fucking arguments between her, him and Irvin Kershner on the set of uh, Empire Strikes Back, where he's like, well, yeah. "Why does it look this way? Why is it so dark?" Uh, like because this is the setup we need. Oh boy! 
I'm not shooting yeah. extra coverage because I'm a fucking professional. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. Um, Irving Kirshner was instrumental in making that movie as good as it was. But also, too, um, I'm trying to remember his name now. Fuck, I just blanked on it. Uh, huge, like, rewrites were done to the original Star Wars. Um, and ending by, by uh, Lucas's ex-wife. Yeah, which is amazing. Fuck, why can't I remember the guy's name now? Um, I'm literally going to edit this out because I'm an idiot and I can't remember the guy's name. It's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> Are you looking it up? Yeah. Because I'm going to be so mad when I fucking find it. All good. I don't expect people to know the names of everyone who worked on every Star Wars movie, you know? Yeah, that's, you know what? You don't have room in your brain for all those stupid facts that don't add anything to your life. No. (laughs) No, you're you're 100% correct. And that's exactly our mission is like, we're not here to be like, this is not a test. This is not a gatekeeping thing where it's like, oh, you couldn't remember Gary Kurtz's name, who was the producer of Star Wars. And you're like, yeah, because... I have other fucking things in my mind. And if I've thought of Kurtz, the, I, if I thought that name, I'm like, oh, Colonel Kurtz from, um, yeah, from yeah. Uh, uh, Apocalypse Now. From Apocalypse Now. And I'm like, yeah, that's not the guy. It's a different guy. Fuck. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, like there were so many people. That That's the thing is like, I think it's, I think it's a pride thing. I think a lot of artists and creators and directors are very, very keen on like wanting to take full credit. Cause like Absolutely. in my, in my mind, if Rambo and I are like, if I'm like, yo, Rambo, check this out. I got this idea for this comic book character and this is what it is. And I give him the idea and he's like, yeah, okay. He sketches it out. And he's like, like this. I'm like, that's fucking exactly what I was imagining, but I couldn't put it on paper. I didn't create that. We created that. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't understand why it can't be something like that where it's like you give equal credit. Like everybody just wants to be like, well, technically I had 70% and this guy got third. Man, fuck, just split it. Yeah. Like. It's ridiculous, you know? Yeah, it's something like being in a band, I, I've come to really appreciate the fact that we're not um, we're not selfish when it comes to uh, taking credit for music because in the end, we're all writing our own parts. I'm writing my vocals, Josh is writing his guitars, Jesse's writing his bass, Chris is writing his drums. We might give each other little ideas here and there, like, oh, hey, it might be really cool if you do this. But as a band, we understand that we have to create these things on our own and put them together. It's always a collaborative effort. I don't know why artists don't also understand this collaborative effort, even directors or uh, script writers. Like Star Wars wouldn't have the first, very first Star Wars movie wouldn't have been half as good as it was if it wasn't for the editor or the sound design. You know, all these little pieces that come together, it wasn't all George Lucas. He came up with an initial idea and a script, and a lot of that script got chopped. So. Well, and that's I mean, a really good point, be. too, about the about the sound design. Sorry, Rambo, and then I'll, I'll let you go. Very good. The sa- the, ben Burt, the guy who did all the sounds, think about how fucking iconic all those sounds are. Like, the laser blast, the lightsabers, the ships. Like, he literally, like, Ben Burt was making lightsaber sounds by going out and, like, taking a hammer and banging against the support cable on, a like, a power line. Yeah, like, and some of those sounds are so iconic. You can yeah. only think of Star Wars when you hear them. Like, for example, I think they actually used this sound in Discovery recently. It might have been in the third season. Do you know the sound that TIE fighters make when they fly? Yeah. It sounds like screaming. Yeah. 
Well, they used that sound in Discovery, and the first thing me and my husband were like, that's a TIE fighter sound. Yeah. Like, maybe it didn't start that way. Maybe it's just a, a bit of sound that, you know, it's uh, free to use or something. But when you hear that sound, you think TIE fighters. Yeah, it's super iconic. There's, mm -hmm. there's a fucking Mickey Mouse cartoon that they do. It's like they recently, like, not redid, but they kind of like started doing new Mickey Mouse cartoons on Disney, oh, yeah. right? And like in one of them, Mickey is like in Japan, like trying to jump on a bullet train, and that mm -hmm. fucking bullet train makes a Tie Fighter noise. Oh and I God. was like, yeah, that's how iconic it is. You literally mm -hmm. can pick that stuff out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah sorry, Rambo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like it's it's ludicrous to think that any one person could make a single film. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 up there with the you know I'm a self-made man bullshit. Like, no, you're not. You can't yeah. be. Absolutely. Like, or or uh, my favorite example of this is Nightmare Before Christmas. Everybody's always like, oh, uh, you know, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. And I'm like, excuse me, Henry Selleck directed that film. I was going to say, he didn't even direct it. Yeah, exactly. He didn't direct yeah. it. And he, he was... He did not write it. He did man, not direct it. <laughs> if, you, if you watch, uh, I think it's called, like, the, the movies that made us, I believe. They do one on Nightmare Before Christmas. And man, Tim Burton was in his own way a lot of the time during that movie. So like, it really was uh, a good movie in spite of itself. Yeah, I, I've heard about arguments between Selleck and him mm -hmm. um, and how Burton would just insist on things being done a very, very particular way and they just didn't go along that direction. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, bud, like you're yeah. not the fucking director. Exactly. Like, I, I'm sure you think it would look cool if this happened, but at the same time, it doesn't make sense for the story. Yeah. I, it's it's also, it's always a great marker of someone who's not just a, a talented artist, but just a decent person mm -hmm. when they get congratulated for something that they've worked on, even if they're spearheading it. Mm -hmm. And they immediately start talking about all of the other people that are involved. Yes. Because, yeah, it... Like that kind of work is is so collaborative and it requires so many different hands um, that one person like just physically could not do all of the jobs required. Mm -hmm. It's just not feasible. Yeah, making I a know. movie is such a big group endeavor. Like you're you're thousands of people to create one piece of entertainment. Yeah. Kind I wanted amazing. to point out too. I mentioned Gary Kurtz was the producer on the the first Star Wars movie. The name I was originally thinking of it was another K name. It's Lawrence Kasdan. Kasdan oh, was yeah. the co yeah, yeah, yeah. was the co writer of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Oh, ah. and he also co wrote Raiders of the Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is like my great like my favorite movie of all time. So yeah, yeah. Fucking Lawrence Kasdan deserved a shout out on this goddamn podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like if we want to talk about not just. Uh, uh, Lucas being a bad writer, but being like, or, or not being a good writer, but being a bad writer. Do you know why aliens showed up in Indiana Jones? Oh, tell me. I do Fucking, not know this because I didn't watch it. <laughs> oh, it's it, it like the things that work work. The things that don't really don't. Um, the I mean, it's, like there's an interview with with uh, with Spielberg where he says like, yeah, George had been trying to to do aliens for years. And I was always like, no, I don't think we should, man. And he finally wore me down. <laughs> oh, God, why? Say it with a laugh. He says it like in this very kind of like tired, like, 
Yeah, I I I finally caved. <laughs> it's such a <laughs> so depressing. Because okay, you have to think about Indiana Jones and the feelings you get when you think of Indiana Jones. Like when you when you think Indiana Jones, what do you think of? You think of you know like Nazis. It's 1940s kind of thing. You think that that aesthetic. You think of that kind of music. You think of you like. Think- Exploring even, caves. Even when like the themes get big, those huh. are kind of pushed off to the side. Yeah. Like everything's like dirty and grounded and like yes. a real dude dealing with real shit until he's not. And history and, and and earth history and ancient civilizations. Like that's something that people really enjoyed to the point where tons of people wanted to be archaeologists just because of Indiana Jones. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, that, a that, huge impact on that. It was like when Jurassic Park came out and everybody wanted to be a paleontologist. Same yep. thing happened in Indiana Jones. Everybody wanted to be an archaeologist. Well, so you've got this whole theme of archaeology and history and museums being important. And now you're introducing aliens? Like, why? Why? It's, it's one of those things, like, one of the things the movie does well is they explore the idea that Indy in the 50s is like he's past his prime mm-hmm. and the world is changing. Um, like the, the you know about the refrigerator scene? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> that, the, him locking himself in a refrigerator to survive a nuclear blast is stupid. Uh-huh. Um, but the shot Honestly. immediately afterward where he's looking at the mushroom cloud. Mm-hmm. That is, it's beautiful, it's iconic, and it's its very much like, it's like, it is a pulp hero looking at the atomic age. Yeah. And that... like, that's really cool. Yeah. And in, I wish the script were better. Like, yeah. I, I, I. You can't fault them for having these beautiful scenes when the script is trash. It's so unfair. Yeah. You know, so all I'm saying though is, is this the, and, and I'm 100% in agreement with you where the movie had some great moments and then some others like total horseshit moments. But like, um, he also jumps out of a fucking plane in uh, Temple of Doom and they and they use an inflatable raft and survive. Oh, my God. oh yeah. So let's not yeah. talk about plausibility here because like, they, okay, I mean, no. now, 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 I, I will point out that you're using the second worst of the indie movies to make your point. Hey, well. Whoa, I love Temple of Doom. Undeniable. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't love it. It is also the second worst of the Indiana so Jones movies. It is. Because honestly, yeah. when I was a little kid, uh, we had it on VHS, because I don't know if you guys remember this, but at some point, McDonald's sold the entire Indiana Jones trilogy for some reason. And I so we had... It must have been yes. a tie-in with, uh, with the show. Oh, I see. Yeah, so we uh, so we had it on VHS, and that one part in Temple of Doom where he the guy rips out his heart... I used to rewind and play that over and over again to try to figure out <laughs> how it worked. I was like, how is this working? Kalima. And, Kalima. Yeah. That movie crafted something in me. I don't know what it was because it, it's so goofy and stupid, but I just, I love the the visuals yeah. of that movie. It's, Raiders of the Lost Ark, in my opinion, is a, is, is a work of art. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect movie. Um, Temple of Doom is a, bordering on dumpster fire but it's fun it's so fun like um 
Yeah, it absolutely is. It's yes, a musical number at the very beginning of the movie. Like, oh, yeah. That, that, that big musical number where she's singing in Chinese and, oh, man, I love it. I love Dude. it so much. And, and the, the fucking oh. car, the cartoonish bad guy who's just like, where's the antidote? He goes, for the poison you just drank. <laughs> so much. And when you think about it, like, it's goofy as hell. But that movie inspired so many other things that came after it. And when you talk about Temple of Doom, everybody's like, oh, God, Temple of Doom. But everybody remembers every scene from that movie. Like, chilled monkey brains. Oh, <laughs> oh God. I broke a nail being trapped in a room full of giant bugs. I mean, it's all of my fears. I love it. Yeah. You know, now I need to watch Temple of Doom again. Because, like... <laughs> It's been a a minute since I've seen that one. Um, You do, like, I think we all did this, but we started talking about Star Trek, and now we're into Indiana Jones. Um, Back to the, like, bringing it back to the point we were originally talking about. Like, I love that they went to the future with it. I didn't really mind the whole, like, prequel thing at first, because I'll tell you why, really. I am so fucking excited about Strange New Worlds. Because... Because Anson Mount, like, as Captain Pike, like, that dude, that is some of the best casting I've ever seen. But they made a boring-ass character into something interesting. Because yeah. Captain Pike was just this dude. He was like, oh, it's a guy that's stuck in a, um, stuck in a weird uh, wheelchair for some reason, and he can only talk in beeps. But, oh. like, they've made that character heroic. They really and, did. Like, and they're gonna do some amazing shit with that, and I can't wait to see what they're gonna do. Because, honestly, it's a modern take on the original series. Yeah. And I think it'll be really cool. I'd love to see how they're going to incorporate because James T. Kirk has to sh- fucking show up at some point. Uh, eventually. Yeah, I'm excited about yeah. that show too. I, ju- I still find it funny that like, is this the fourth person who's played Spock or the third? Uh, We got Nimoy. We had... He's at um, least the third. Yeah. Yeah, at least the third. I don't know if he's this. Is he the same actor who played Spock in um, Discovery? Yes. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. so it's the third person to play Spock. Yeah. Nimoy, Quinto, and Peck. Yeah. Right. So, which and, is, and Ethan I, Peck's actually the grandson of Gregory Peck, which is grandson cool of Gregory shit. Peck. Yeah. That's amazing. I And I, I love Spock. Like, he's one of my favorite characters of all time. But the, the thing about recasting Spock is that when you make a, a modern Star Trek show, even though they're doing a lot better with the whole um, representation of different people, they're still clinging to this whole it's tv everyone has to be absolutely gorgeous and everyone they cast in all of these shows are super gorgeous yeah they're all pretty yeah and spock the original you know leonard nimoy had an extremely different face it was so iconic and i guess the term for it is um uh non uh, is not he's not un, he's not unattractive, but he's unconventionally attractive. There you go. And yeah. The that they have gotten to play Spock can ever do that look. They're not because they're all super sexy. Like you get super <laughs> sexy Spock, and it just doesn't have the same feeling. I don't know how to explain that, but like Spock was a huge sex symbol back in the. the oh series. yeah. Yeah, loved him. Can I make a request that at some point, um, A Sound of Thunder does a a song called "Super Sexy Spock." 
super sexy spark. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, but like <laughs> people love the fact that he was unconventionally attractive and different. So the fact that they keep casting like super sexy people to play Spock, I don't know, it's a little disappointing to me because uh, Star Trek, I feel maybe there should be some uggos in there. Like give me some ugly people for a change. You know, well, the closest think... we've got is Tilly and she's what, like a size 16? Like it's a huge deal because you got a big girl in Star Trek. But that's Which is it. ridiculous because yeah. she's like perfect for a science vessel like Discovery because she's oh, quirky yeah. and nerdy and smart and like, yeah. Yeah, but everyone else is extremely hot. I want to okay. know where to work where literally everyone around <laughs> is a supermodel. Fucking joy At Star least Trek. all the actors that have played Spock have all had like similar looks like they don't all look like Nimoy but there's at least like through lines in their appearance sure you look at bones you go <laughs> from DeForest <laughs> Kelly to Carl Urban <laughs> well I love Carl Urban and I really appreciate how much of his personality he was able to uh yeah. portray he was perfect I thought I think he's he, a perfect bones. he literally like Carl Urban was like, I'm going to go back in time. Uh -huh. I'm going to make sure that my genetic code is somehow fused with DeForest Kelly's. Yeah. I am going to be him on screen. Like he is so fucking DeForest Kelly. It's ridiculous. And like- It's truly perfect. Yeah, he like, of all of the casting that they did for those newer movies, he was dead on. Honestly though, fucking Chris Pine. Oh, like manages, <laughs> he manages to really, really get James T. Kirk dead on and like, the one line that I that I I recite that is like perfect Kirk was when he's with the uh, Orion girl in the first one, and they're like making out, and she's like James Kirk, I think I'm in love with you, and he goes, Wow, that's weird. Like, <laughs> I, I really appreciate what Chris Pine, Pine brought to Kirk because I yeah. never liked Captain Kirk. I always thought like he's just some cocky white guy. I'm not into it. But Chris Pine is so effing charming. He made me like Captain Kirk. So. I, I, he's a great actor. Yeah. Love him. Um, the, uh, there's a documentary called Captains. And oh, I need to see that. I mean, it, it, it's not really fair to say it's a documentary. It's, it, there's a series of interviews that, uh -huh. that Shatner did stroking his own ego. Of um, but he, he goes and he interviews each of, at the time, each of the captains uh, of the various series um, or the, you know, the leads. And he, it ends with him and Chris Pine. Oh, and it's just the two of them chewing scenery and like trying to outsmarm the other one. Amazing. And it's pretty incredible. <laughs> oh, that's great. It reminds me of that scene in Spectre. Was it Spectre? Was that the one with Javier Bardem? Uh, where yeah. No, 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 it's, no, it's uh, uh, Skyfall, Skyfall. Skyfall, where it's basically like a, a scene with him and uh, James Bond, like him and Daniel Craig basically like trying to fuck each other. Like <laughs> uh, that whole sequence so is sexy. amazing. Yeah. I love. Seeing that in the theater, um, I don't know why, but for some reason, I think I was back home in Greenbelt, uh, and I'm watching that in the AMC there. Oh, to that shot or that scene, and you know, you know, uh, uh, Barnum's character has some line like something like, uh, you know, the first time for everything, Mister Bond, and he's like rubbing his leg, mm -hmm. and Bond's response is, "What would make you think this is the first time?" Ooh. And I hear behind me, like through gritted teeth, like, the fuck is this shit? <laughs> like, so, and like a genuine question, like so confused. Yeah. And like, I don't. It's this wait. <laughs> Love it. Fucking suck no dick. Nah, what? <laughs> and like, 
<laughs> so like worried and scared and like bud i got some bad news for you yeah i i think uh, i think james bond is omnisexual oh yeah yeah i mean will, honestly if it will help him achieve the mission yeah bad news for you yeah like I, right I, I think that bond is i i don't think that bond sexuality ever comes into play because he's so much of a monster uh-huh. that you don't get to be like he's 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 like he has the same sexuality of a serial killer, mm-hmm. wherein like it's it's all just like sort of an amorphous like whatever needs to happen happens. Yes, yes. Yeah. Whereas uh, Baker, he he does it for fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As as a reminder, James Bond is a fucking spy. Yeah. Uh, and a spy's job is to complete the mission. So. I mean, I hate to break it to all these guys who are like, yeah, but he's a man's man. Wait, he also likes men? Oh, God, what does this mean about me? Yeah. Like, yeah. that sucks, yeah. you know? But this is the character. And, like, it, that's not unrealistic at all. And I, it, yeah. honestly, like, fucking bravo for them for doing that. Honestly, I'm waiting for the... I'm waiting for someone to have the balls to send James Bond into a scenario where he's in one of these super high-end Hollywood parties that are trafficking young, live twinks to older Hollywood guys. And he has to seduce an older Hollywood guy in order to save the twinks. Like, that's a dream scenario, James Bond, for me. I don't like James Bond, so I'm just looking for some gay shit to make it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking for some gay shit. I'm just looking for some gay shit. Like, have him seduce, what's a, uh, like the gay Harvey Weinstein, basically. What was that? Kevin Spacey. Have him seduce Kevin's a, a Kevin Spacey type, so that he can like unravel this evil twink network where they're you know shipping in twinks from all over the world, and he frees them. I think that would be a great movie. Yeah, I'd watch I that. Just, yeah, I mean, I like that. I like that you you were like, who's the gay Harvey Weinstein? Oh yeah, Kevin Spacey. Like yeah, that. yeah, that guy, that piece of shit. You know. Yeah. Fuck that guy. God damn it. Yeah. Very disappointing. Incredibly disappointing. Such a great actor and such a scumbag. Like, uh-huh. Just, ugh, fucking worst. Oh man. And then, like, honestly, like, and we've talked about this before, the whole, like, can you separate the art from the artist? With him, I can't. It's difficult. It's, it, it's difficult yeah. if you're looking at his face the whole time, you know? Yeah. Sometimes with a musician, I have a, I have a hard... I have a hard time with a lot of musicians because of the insane things they've done. Sometimes when it's like uh, Dave Mustaine, he's just said some insane, stupid, just incredibly dumb shit, but he hasn't done anything. Now, when you get to the people who have actually, you know, done crazy things, like be with underage girls, stuff like that, I can't listen to their music anymore. Yeah. Let me let me ask you a question about that actually, because that, that brings up an interesting um, aspect, especially when it comes to like some older uh, artists. So like mm-hmm. artists who were like in their heyday in the '70s. So we'll use like Bowie as an example, right? Okay. I I can't remember the um, the girl's name, but she was essentially like a groupie during the '70s and yeah. was like 14 or 15 years old and slept yeah. with him and slept with 
um, Mick Jagger and like all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Is it something like historically speaking where you can look at something like that and be like, look, this is wrong is wrong is wrong is wrong period across the board. Or is it mm-hmm. more of a now that we know about this sort of thing and like this is the accepted like norm now is when like the line gets drawn or like is is that a set in stone sort of thing for you? Well, so personally, I have never been a giant fan of most um, popular acts. So okay. when you're talking about like David Bowie and um, even Aerosmith, I, because my God, the things that what's his face from Aerosmith has done. I Stephen Tyler. Yeah. Stephen Tyler. No, he's on my shit list. I can't. I can't stand Stephen Tyler. But like, so when it gets to that, like with David Bowie, I'm like. You know, I, I do appreciate the art that he's created because I think he was a, an incredible creative force. But at the same time, he was also like a huge drug addict who was yeah. definitely sleeping with underage girls and had a lot of privilege. He he was so privileged that he created a character called the Thin White Duke, where Thank his entire you. personality was him being racist. And it's like and he's like, oh, no, but this is for art. It's the sake of art. And I'm like, that is a huge privilege that you have that not many people have. So I'm not going to talk shit about David Bowie because I do think that he was a creative force to be reckoned with. But not listening to his music is not like a a sacrifice for me. Same thing with Aerosmith. I'm not incredibly in love with Steven Tyler. So when I talk to people about how he was how he adopted a, a a teenage girl so that he could take her on the road, feed her drugs, get her pregnant, force her to get an abortion. And then now he cries about abortion and abortion rights are bad because he suffered so much when he forced this young girl to get an abortion. Like he's such a piece of shit. I can't, I can't, I just, that, that whole generation of rockers like Ted Nugent, not even in my not even in my brain. I don't even like Ozzy. Like it's just not. So uh, I have Dio. I have Dio. Yes. No, I actually, I'm one of the few people that, that prefers Dio over Ozzy when it comes to black Sabbath. You are not a few. There are many people who prefer Dio to Ozzy. Well, then I found my people hot. Yeah. Yeah. It's people. Dio created the rock fist, like the, the, the horns. Yeah. Like he well, was the one that popularized that. He did popularize it. The, you know, now Gene Simmons will tell you that it was him because he wants money. But I agree. It was Dio that popularized it. Fucking Gene Simmons. God yeah. Damn just the worst. Ugh. Also on my shit list. So much. But I'm not suffering, not listening to Kiss, you know? Same. Like Gene Simmons, <laughs> Gene Simmons is so fucking smarmy. Like that guy, like. Uh, like he just like all he's interested in is is where I'm getting my next dollar from. Yeah. And like, oh, I just cannot stand that sack of shit. Literally, I, his oh. entire life's goal is to make so much money that he I like I just to make money. That's like his whole life goal. And I can't imagine living that way. I think Gene Simmons is an awful piece of shit. Uh-huh. But I will also add to that. I do respect the fact that he is so fucking honest about tensions oh, sure. for yeah. everything. That's totally fair too. And my my guitarist Josh, he makes yeah. a lot of Gene Simmons jokes. So like whenever we uh, whenever we put out some sort of ridiculous kind of merch, like we're we're doing cassettes this time. He's like <laughs> nice. my Gene Simmons is coming out. I'm gonna put out some Sound of Thunder branded underwear. Sound of Thunder branded pajamas. The the most Kiss item I've ever seen 
was the coffin they put out. <laughs> yeah, the kiss uh, coffin. Me, uh, the, the big casket that yeah. you could buy now and use as a cooler. Amazing. It was designed specifically to be used as an insulated cooler until you died, at which point you could be buried in it. See, like, that's just a smart idea. Man knows I would brand. buy it if it wasn't just branded. Man knows his brand, you know. It seems genius. I'd love to have a coffin cooler, but I wouldn't want a kiss coffin cooler because I don't like kiss that much. Ugh, he's just so gross. He just yeah. grosses me out. Just, ugh. ugh, God. Yeah, uh, so... Ham yeah. Debar is the name of the uh, one one of several, but the, the most famous of the uh, '70s and '80s rock groupies. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those those stories, like, because I remember I did a. Um, it's not a shameless plug, I swear. I did a different uh, podcast um, set. I did a like a. I don't even know what you would call it. I did like a five episode thing where I just like started diving into music and musicians to like learn more about them. Cause I didn't really know anything about Bowie. Like Bowie was just one of these things that just like existed. He was just like, he's a good artist. That's all I know about him. And mm-hmm. I just deep sea dove into him. And I was really impressed with just like how intelligent the guy was like, fuck. He was basically like talking about how the internet was going to become the thing that it became in like 1996. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like he was, he had an interview on the BBC and the guy from the BBC was like, okay, Sure, people are gonna watch videos on the internet, and Bowie's like, "Yeah, they will." I'm streaming my concerts on the internet, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Okay, loser." And like, <laughs> you, could just, you could just see that, like, he he was on to something. Now, again, drug addict, yes, uh, borderline white supremacist when he was in so, his uh, thin white Duke thing. Yeah, I'd like to like, cut in real quick. Go ahead, because we keep using the word drug the term drug addict like mm-hmm. that is some negative character trait. Well, it was in his case because a lot of the drugs that he was on, he would give to his groupies. And it sure. was a, he was he was living in an era where it's like you couldn't be a musician and not do drugs. And those hard drugs led to a lot of the things that were not good, like him sleeping with a 14 year old. So I, I agree Going with you off. that, like, you know, drug addict, not I, I don't think that's like his crime was being a drug addict. I think no. the drugs are what made him it made it easier to do the crimes and that's what he blamed the thin white duke stuff on he was like i said all this nazi propaganda shit because it was my character but i was also really really messed up on drugs and like it's uh, again it's it's an illness like Mm -hmm. addiction is an illness i'm not like trying to discount that but what i'm saying is is like he didn't really take a lot of accountability for it because he turned around and blamed all of his shit on it yeah yeah, yeah. Then, I think that's, that's I think that's point. fair like, to give some context to, to it. To to be someone who is using drugs and then trying to blame shitty behavior on like it's it's that's no different than someone who uh, uh you know gets fucking drunk and then is an asshole and is like oh well I was drunk yeah oh yeah, like, yeah. No. we I can't we stand that shit to say okay well well you know that guy's a, you know, that guy's a real dickhead he's an alcoholic and he's it's like that's that is a part of that, but that is mm-hmm. independent of them being a shitty person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a good point. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, it doesn't, that's not, that shouldn't be treated as a, this is a character flaw. Right. No, no he wasn't shitty because he was a drug addict. The dr- yeah. the addiction made him shittier. Yeah. Um. But it, yeah, with that, I learned so much about, about him. And like, you see these dark parts of somebody's 
personality again like it, the the whole sleeping with somebody that's underage mm-hmm. like it just it it sucks to, yeah. to think but i mean it also i mean that's humanity like how how often do we see these people that we put up on pedestals that have like some really really questionable shit in their past or oh, in yeah. their present like i mean and and also that was part of uh rock culture at the time there were girls whose goal was to sleep with as many rock stars as they could to the point where the girl who slept with bowie um she was part of a group of girls that were basically miniature celebrities in their in themselves because they slept with musicians. So you'd see them in like teen girl magazines where there's like, yeah, you know, I've slept with this guy, I slept with this guy. And it was considered good for these 14 year olds to be boning these adult men and brag worthy to the point where a lot of these girls, you know, they're they're adult women now. And they'll be like, oh yeah, it was my choice. It was 100% my choice to go and to this concert and seduce these men. And I'm like, girl, <laughs> you yeah. did not seduce anyone. You were literally a child who, and a lot of them come from homes where they're not valued very much. So you were literally a child who found value in herself by um, sleeping with someone. Like that was how you felt good about yourself. That's not to say I blame them. I definitely blame our society and the uh, importance it puts on uh, adult men and young girls. Because well, additionally too, that everything is sexualized. I mean, yes. we've, we've delved into that into the and on the podcast before where like every everything is focused on sex at all mm-hmm. times. Like yeah. constantly 24 seven. And like if, and I feel bad because like, especially for women where like they feel that if they're not wanted sexually, they're therefore not important or not loved or not yeah. valued. Like that's fucking frightening to think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you're not sexualized, then you're not a human being. It's, it's, uh, it's something that a lot of women go through when they are, uh, cat called. Like you get to the point where you want to look as unattractive as you possibly can outside because being catcalled is so, uh, it's so frustrating that you actually, like a lot of women who put on weight on purpose, they say they want to look like that because they don't want to be looked at as a sexual person. That's, that's, uh, I'm sorry. I watch a lot of documentaries about people who overeat and uh, trauma is a huge cause of overeating. And for women specifically, a lot of women overeat because they've faced trauma because they're so used to being sexualized. They're like, I just want to be left alone. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks being a woman sometimes. I, wow. I, again, (laughs) This started with Star Trek, and here's where we go. Um, yeah. Not a bad thing at all. Like it's, wow. Um, interconnection. Yeah. Deep inter- thoughts. Yeah. No, it's well, it's one of those things that like the the whole eating from trauma. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, um, you guys can't see it because it's a podcast. I'm raising my hand right now. Um, when you're dealing with PTSD, when you're dealing with depression, when you're dealing with anxiety, you want to know what is always there for you, never Food. judges you, and always makes you feel better. Food. Mm-hmm. every yeah. single time and like i i still remember getting judged because like after i got out of the army i gained about 80 pounds within a, a few years and people are like oh well um 
oh, there must be something else wrong with you. It can't be PTSD or it can't be stress. It can't be depression. And I'm like, um, and feeling like shit because I wasn't an alcoholic or because I wasn't a drug addict because oh, yeah. that was, that was, that's how you dealt with trauma. Oh, you drink? Oh, of course. So now we feel bad for you. Oh, you eat? Oh, you, you're disgusting and you're fat. Look at you. Like, I still remember getting looks from people like that and getting comments from people like that. And like, I just, I can understand that being traumatized to the point where you're just like, well, you know what? I'm just going to eat as much fucking pizza as I possibly can. Yeah. Fuck it. Who cares? And pizza and food is a, food can be a drug. It has oh, addictive principles, sorry, ad addictive chemicals like sugar and uh, carbohydrates. They, they set off the dopamine in your brain. They make you feel good. So you can get as you can get addicted to food as easily as you can get addicted to yeah. anything else. They and say there's, there's some chemical reaction in your brain when you eat cheese that it, it um, um, kicks the same uh, receptors in your brain as heroin does. Absolutely. I believe that. Because, man, when I eat some good mac and cheese, if you <laughs> presented me with heroin and mac and cheese, I will take the mac and cheese every time. I mean, that's good. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, what I'm saying is it's a lot easier for someone to get addicted to something that's cheap and plentiful and everywhere. Yeah. You know, that's why we have so many people who are morbidly obese and don't understand why. It's because they've probably got some sort of trauma. Well, in addition when to you. Rambo and I have talked about this a lot too. You grew up poor. Mm -hmm. Cheap food is not healthy, but it's mm -hmm. cheap. And Absolutely. that's the way you were raised. Yeah. Well, and also like you don't need to do drugs to live. You yeah. have to eat. You have to eat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it made me think like our conversation. I was reading um, Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers recently put out like I guess his memoirs um, and talked about how he basically like his dad was like a struggling actor in mm -hmm. Los Angeles when he was a kid. And like, he got introduced to drugs at like, I think he was saying that he took heroin when he was 12. Oh God. Um, and talked about how like at 12, he was sexualized and, and saying that like, it, it became a thing that was like, he didn't realize he was repeating that sort of thing until he was like with the red hot chili peppers. They're in Louisiana. He meets some girl who was 14 and him and her had a relationship and she was like, oh, by the way, my my father is the chief of police for this city in Louisiana and like not excusing it at all because it's still some predatory shit. But it's just yeah. like realizing where it came from and how oh, like, yeah. it, pervasive it is and how it just repeats itself over and over again. is just fucking frightening. Oh, sure. And in the rock community specifically, like look at all of the biggest rock stars in the world. They're all super skinny and white. It's because a lot of them were on cocaine. Because cocaine is the drug of rock and roll, you know. Heroin is heroin is the drug of people who have chronic pain issues. The party drug of now and forever is cocaine. And what does cocaine do? It makes you super hyper, and it makes you super focused, and it makes you skinny. So a lot of people in rock and roll are only skinny and, you know, give off this look because they're doing cocaine all the time. And then once they stop doing drugs... I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of these rock stars have put on a lot of weight because they have no idea how to eat like a normal human being. Yep. So the subtitle for this episode is Trauma. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Taking okay. us off topic a bit. It's, it's okay. It's, 
it just makes me feel bad because the next topic is food. And you should enjoy food. Or is it perfect to lead in? I think it is perfect. good to lead in. Because I mean, you can enjoy food without making it the number one thing in your life. You know, it doesn't have to be the thing you think about 24 hours a day. That's a symptom of disordered eating. Yeah, it it's it is for for sure, and it's like it's so funny that like I'll tell you what's what's been and you know here's what we'll do we'll go ahead and we'll lead into our second episode here um so we'll go ahead and wrap up the first uh our thanks to to our guest Nina um you can check out her band they are all over the internet when it comes to where you can hear them they're called a sound of thunder you can stream them on spotify you can actually pay for their music um outright on places like apple i'm assuming is this correct nina oh yeah we're everywhere spotify apple whatever just google us yes google a sound of thunder and pay this lady her money because they do some dope shit um we will be (laughs) we will be back with another episode here where we're talking about thanksgiving side uh, dishes and what the the number one seed is. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And remember, for all of us here at the Great Geek Refuge, um, we appreciate you. We love you. And together, there are no heights we can't reach. Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website, GreatGeekRefuge.com for all of our awesome articles and wonderful podcasts. This has been Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, boy!